WTS presents 3, 2, 1 All the Feelings This episode Doubt Welcome, everybody, to All the Feelings. That's right. WTS presents All the Feelings. I'm Pete Wright, and that right over there is Tommy Metz Third. Hey, Paisano. That's my new character. <laughs> hey. That's what we're doing today? Excellent. Yep. Yeah. Straight from the hills of Tuscany. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. We are. This is our halfway mark. For the season, we usually do 12 episodes. If you're a feeling friends, you get much more. But uh, 12 episodes, this is number six. And Pete, what are we talking about today? Today, Tommy, we're talking about doubt. Noun, a feeling of uncertainty or lack of conviction. Doubt. This is a big one, Pete. This was exciting. This was one of the first ones we came up with <laughs> when we were coming up with our weird list of nonsense. Which is telling. this podcast is supposed to be. That is yes. telling that that's the first <laughs> one we would come to. Yeah, we came up with doubt right after saying, I wonder if this new podcast format is going to work. <laughs> I have my, what's the Ooh. word? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but I, no, we are going to doubt, doubt, let it all out. I'm excited. That's a... You're talking about the Australian are, mega band. Yeah. That's a mm-hmm. right. Okay. These are the good. things we're These worried about. These are the about. things we're worried about. That's good. I don't know that I'd ever heard that bit. So uh, I want to start with a quiz that will tie into my section, which we'll do later. Is that okay? I love quizzes. Let's do this. It's a quick one. It's a quick one. And it's all okay. about okay. averages. So I'm going to read eight statements to you, and you are going to think about each one and process it. And you're going to give me a number, one through five. One means I don't agree. Five means I strongly agree. And got it. You got it. Okay. Three means I, I fell asleep. Okay. I'm no one longer present. One, one, no agree. Five, strong agree. Got it. Right. Okay. I will be able to achieve most of the goals that I have set for myself. Four. Four. Three. Depends on the day, Ooh. but I'm going to go high. Oh, <laughs> most of the goals? Today. No. How do you feel today? today? Yeah. You mean the goals that I have for today? For yourself. Or the goals How I have in my life today, for today? about achieving the goals that you've set for yourself writ large? Well, I got a flu shot. My arm hurts and I lost my keys yesterday. Let's come in at a strong three. <laughs> okay. Three, 3.5. Okay. Yeah, I'm now, lowering it from five. I'm, I'm giving you a no half stars rule on this. No half stars. You don't oh, okay. get a half three. stars. It's a three. All right. Uh, number two, when facing difficult tasks, I am certain that I will accomplish them. You know what? Certain, huh? It's weird because with anxiety and doubt, I know that I will accomplish them. Like some part of me knows I will accomplish them, but the worry that I won't is the hardest feeling. So weirdly, even though I know I will accomplish them, the there is so much uncertainty involved. I'll give myself a two, oh, unfortunately. Man, I relate to that. All right. Number three. In mm-hmm. general. I think that I can mm. obtain outcomes that are important to me. Four. Oh, nice. I, Coming in hot. I like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Because that that's that is less about the anticipatory and more looking at the end mm-hmm. when I usually things usually come up pretty well. Okay. I love it. It's just the getting there. Yeah, All of right. course. I believe I can succeed at most any endeavor to which I set my mind. I believe I can succeed. Again, I don't mean to keep harping over the same horse, not a phrase, but I, I know that I will be able to do it, but I, part of me, I'll say three. Like okay. I do have a really good success rate, but the getting there is rough stuff. Mm-hmm. So if I'm saying, if we're saying words like certainty or really believe, obviously I don't because otherwise I wouldn't be nervous going in. Right. That's how I have to think about it. <laughs> if I'm nervous or don't want to do it, even though I know I'll probably do well, but there's approach avoidance, then yes, I'm going to downgrade myself to two. Two? Two to three. Oh, okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. And, and I should say, now that we're at the halfway point, 
I hope you can tell this is not a joke quiz. Like this is not a, a right. out of, you know, GQ. Uh, this is a legit behavioral assessment and uh, and we'll talk oh. about it later. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I know. I know. The stakes just got even higher. I wonder if you will set your uh, if you'll be able to achieve. Yeah. Uh, what you can because well, I've year. traditionally gotten all of my what's that smell quizzes from Max. From <laughs> so I'm glad that you're up. To, this one's from Veterinarians Quarterly. I don't know who they're talking to. Here we go. Number five. I will be a. Yeah. <laughs> I it's a quiz for horses. Uh, I will be able to successfully overcome many challenges. Many seems to be Four. carrying a lot of weight. <laughs> it's a lot of weight, but I do end up overcoming challenges. Yeah. It's just the hard road getting there. So I will say four. Okay. So, number six, mm-hmm. I am confident that I can perform effectively on many different tasks. Four. Outstanding. I am confident. Mm-hmm. It's just the getting there is rough. I'm sorry I'm repeating myself. Compared to other people. Uh-oh. I know. Extra layer of complexity already. Mm-hmm. I can yeah. do most tasks very well. <laughs> and this is for horses? <laughs> All right. Um, I can jump and gallop. Um, let's see. I'm a pretty pony. Compared I'm to a other people, pony. I can do most most activities most very tasks well. very well compared to other people. I'm, well, I am... At risk of own horn tooting, I am good at things that some make people very nervous, like public speaking, thinking on my feet, leading groups, telling wedding but parties then to sit down. Other basic things, <laughs> wedding parties to town. But I am bad at things like keeping keys in pocket, <laughs> as I proved yesterday. So I'll give myself right down the middle. I'll give myself a three. Okay. Because I also don't want to be boastful. No, why would you? Number eight, even when things are tough, I can perform quite well. Yes, because once I'm performing, yes, four. Oh, nice. I know. Once I'm in once I'm in the fire, baby. You didn't give yourself <laughs> any. I mean, you're just right across the bell curve, right? You are skiing the bell curve is what I call that. That's a thing now. Oh. I mean, you, okay. you there are what no does that fives. Mean? There are no fives. Right. And there are no ones. I feel like I live in the gray. Huh. I'm a I'm a I'm the I'm a student of Pleasantville. Like I'm always just sort of like somewhere in the middle because my abilities versus my mental feelings about my abilities are vastly different. Yes. At vastly different times. Yes. Yeah. So it's really hard for me. Like if there were questions that were just straight up when I'm already doing the hard task, am I able to pivot on my feet? I would say five. Yeah. When I am performing, no matter how nervous I was leading up to it, will I be able to control my fear while on stage? Five, 100%. But when it's a mix of yeah. all those things, how do you feel about it and leading up to it? That's when it gets all murky. Uh, for sure. And that's exactly what I'm... That's my phrase. For it. It, I, think that's a th- I think that's a thing. I uh, have the yeah. exact same thing. When, I'm, when I feel like I'm on, I'm fine. I'm fives all the way. But if you're asking me to project to a future self... That is where doubt creeps in. That's yeah, and it's horrible. Yeah. It is horrible. Right. So I will tell you, your average is three point two five. For those who have not been keeping score and averaging out your scores at home, why would they do that? Uh, and we're going to talk right. more about that later. Do you want to tell me about doubt, Peter Rita? As this episode is coming out in October, surely one of the spookiest months. For sure, I have a. Sp- Spine tingling tale to tell you. No, I got I totally it, expected yeah. harrowing. It involves a cabin in the woods, a candle, a board, a planchette, and a healthy dose of young doubt. Peter, this is the story of the first time I ever used a Ouija board. Oh my gosh. And yes, Pete, this story is harrowing. As friends we've gathered, hearts are true. Spirits near, we call to you. Sadly, I have never successfully kept a journal while growing up, so I'm not exactly sure when this took place. But it was before I moved to Boulder, Colorado in the fourth grade, so my family and I still lived in Vienna, Virginia. So my guess is I was around seven or eight. And I had a friend whose family had a cabin in the woods near a lake. And every summer I would go up and stay with him and a friend of his for a few nights. 
And on one of these nights, my friend said he had a new game he wanted to try. And out came the Ouija board. Now, I'm assuming that almost everyone knows what a Ouija board is from now, and I'm going to go back and forth from saying Ouija and Ouija. No one knows. Uh, but just in case you are not familiar, a Ouija or spirit board is a board covered in letters of the alphabet and certain words like yes or no. And players put their hands on a planchette, which is like a small heart-shaped object with a little hole in the middle. And you supposedly use it to communicate with the spirit world as the planchette moves across the board, spelling out words and phrases when your hands are on it. Uh, in the film The Exorcist, it is a Ouija board that Lil Reagan uses to communicate with the spirit Captain Howdy, leading to her possession. The Ouija board is currently tra trademarked by Hasbro! <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pete, without getting into too much specifics, because I do have a tale to tell, did you ever have any Ouija board experiences growing up? And if you had to assign a couple words to them, what would it be? unsatisfying i mean we were kids and i could always feel the it was usually uh what was her last name it was like megan cherry i think was her name megan cherry if you're out there everybody knows you were riding the ouija board everybody knows it <laughs> you made it spell stuff and everybody knew there oh. was never a secret classic cherry uh-huh Got it. So okay unsatisfying we'll go we'll go back to that okay we'll go back to that but unsatisfying okay well Mine wasn't unsatisfying. Mine was, oh, what's the word? Harrowing. <laughs> okay, so it's nighttime, and the parents have all gone to sleep. And it's me, my friend, and his friend, and it's Ouija time. If I remember correctly, my friend knew the specifics of how the spirit board worked because his older brother had taught him. So we turn out all the lights, light a candle that we somehow had, and we begin. We placed our little hands on the planchette and peered through the little glass piece in the middle and asked, is someone there? Nothing happened. Then, slowly, the planchette glided over to the top left of the board, centering on a word. Yes. A shiver ran down our spines as we whispered to each other, asking if one of us was pushing the planchette like a real cherry. I knew I wasn't, and my friends insisted they weren't either. We asked if who we were talking to was dead. The heart-shaped piece, with our hands on it, lazily moved once around the board, then stopped again at the same word. Yes. One of us asked, What is your name? The planchette glided across the board, stopping at a series of letters. V-I-K-T-R. Victor? Yes. We asked, Victor, are you happy? No. Why not? And... O R E S T No rest. Why can't you rest, Victor? We asked. M A D Mad. Who are you mad at, Victor? We whispered. The planchette stayed still, then slowly moved over to a single letter. U. We all took our hands off the planchette and started nervously whispering. Why was he mad at us? Because we spoke to him? Because we were alive and he wasn't? We didn't know, but we'd had enough of the Ouija board that night. We turned on the lights, blew out the candle, and tried to go to sleep, albeit with the lights still on all night. The next day, we couldn't stop talking about the Ouija board. My friends were filled with conviction. We had talked to a spirit, and we had to be careful we didn't make Victor upset again. My friend's brother had told him that sometimes spirits could cross over through the board. After a lot of talk, we decided we would try to contact him one more time that night to see if he was still upset. And as I listened to my friends talk, I realized something. I was doubtful. Unlike the two other boys, I thought something seemed weird about the whole thing. And we didn't have any newfangled internet yet, so it's not like I could do any research at the cabin. But still, I wouldn't have known the word skeptical yet, but I now know that's what I was. And it felt strange, feeling doubtful while my friends were so sure. So, I came up with a plan. That night, as it grew dark and the wind howled outside, we once again lit a candle, turned out the lights, and placed our hands on the planchette. Well, actually, they did. I said I would just observe this time. My friends agreed, and we began. Victor, are you there? The planchette scratched across the board. Yes. Victor, are you still mad? 
Yes. Then I made a suggestion, the plan I'd thought of before to see if my doubts about the spirit board were correct. I asked my friends who had their hands on the planchette to close their eyes for the next question, and I would read out what Victor responded. They agreed and closed their eyes tight. Victor, I whispered, where are you right now? The planchette didn't move. I checked to make sure my friend's eyes were closed. They were. Victor, I whispered again, where are you? Slowly, the planchette began to move. At first, it didn't settle on a letter. It just moved across the board as if wondering what to point to. And then it stopped on a letter. B. And then more letters followed. E. H. Another letter. Another pause. Then four letters right in a row. I. N. D. U. Behind you. And the candle fluttered out, plunging us into total darkness. Yeah, not really. As soon as I had my friends close their eyes, my suspicions were immediately confirmed because the planchette just pointed out random letters like Q, R, P, D, S, and then like scooted <laughs> off the board onto the carpet. Like Victor got both ghost drunk and dyslexic at the same time. Uh, I had doubted the spirit world aspect and had thought that when we were moving the piece, we were maybe moving it without knowing it, starting a word and then subconsciously finishing it. And so if you take sight out of the equation, it would just be gibberish. And now that I'm older and somewhat smarter, I know the scientific name for this phenomenon. Do you happen to know what it is, Pete? I don't. Megan Cherry? Oh, it's sorry. the ideomotor or ideometer effect. The people whose hands hover over the little pointer mm -hmm. that glides around the board are actually moving it to spell out the answers, even if they don't mean to. Mm -hmm. So unlike your friend... Uh, Judas Cherry, whatever her name was, <laughs> a lot of times you're not trying to do it. Ideometer media, uh, movements are unconscious gestures that we make in response to strong ideas or yeah. emotions. And you're already keyed up because the candle, because yep. the howling wind, because the all that Everything. stuff. Everything. Yeah. The reason I bring up that long story is because that's one of the earliest memories. I really spent some time this last week trying to think like, when did I start to really experience doubt or skepticism about certain things? Um. And that's one of the earliest memories that I have of really being apart from the norm or apart from the group. And it's a really weird feeling. Like there's a little pride in it, but yeah. being the lone doubter is also very lonely. Yeah. And as someone that thrives off of, spoiler alert, belonging, belonging to a group, being a part of everyone else, I don't get a lot of like zing from that. And uh, inevitably, when I revealed the gibberish that my closed eyes friends were pointing out, they got defensive. They weren't like, of oh, course. aren't you smart? All right. They got defensive and said I wasn't following the rules. So maybe Victor was trying to trick us. This is also when I realized <laughs> I might need new friends and I moved to Boulder. Um, yeah. So that's the kind of thing that I wanted to talk about briefly is just the feeling of doubt, how it can be very helpful, but it can also be very lonely. And yeah. very distancing from other people. And doubt and skepticism has gotten a firm hold on our society, whether it be about science, whether it be about politics, whether it be about conspiracy theories that have really reared new heads. Yeah. We're in a new place. I mean, and you know, we have newscasters saying things like we are post-truth. Okay, A, I don't care for that phrase. I never have. Yeah. But B, what's the, what's the opposite of that? Well, it's doubt. That's what that leads to. Yeah. So. Right. Right. Do you remember, and I'm sort of putting you on the spot, but like childhood or like early times when you felt either self, one phrase for it, maybe like self ostracized, like you are taking yourself away from the norm or the, the majority because you're like, I think we should look a little harder into this. Well, I certainly, I, I mean, I share, I, I don't have nearly the, the theatrical experience that you have with, with the Ouija board. Uh, but, <laughs> I but I do think like that is the time as we're growing up that you are as an individual exploring those kinds of feelings mm -hmm. and experiences and trying to mm -hmm. create for yourself a sense of belief in something. Right. What do you believe in? And when you run into something you don't believe in, the antithesis of it is you doubt it now. Right. I don't right. believe I doubt right. what it is. And that is I mean, I, I absolutely, uh, you know, sort of resonate with that experience because I, you know, I come I, I came from a community of a lot of kids who loved exploring that kind of stuff. And I mm. pulled myself out pretty early. 
exploring stuff like the occult yeah, or occult adjacent occult, things. Occult adjacent. Yeah. There Spooky was stuff. always the, you yeah. know, Bloody Mary and the mirror and the, mm-hmm. you know, I, the slumber party culture. It, it just sort of became right. the part of the bouquet of slumber party, slumber party culture. And, and I think was also tested in, you know, uh, movies and TV that were scary. Like as soon as you mm-hmm. y- you question your own reality by seeing things that are super believable in film and make you not be able to turn the lights off at night, you start to doubt yourself. You doubt what you are uh, what you, mm. you, you doubt your senses. You doubt your own sort of identity as somebody who believes or doesn't. We joke about this all the time. Uh, and I I. <laughs> You know, it's it, the idea of, um, you know, uh, uh, sure, I I believe in, I believe in spirits or um, angels or demons or whatever, because what if what if I say that I don't and it turns out I was wrong? <laughs> you know, like you, oh, you, Pascal's wager. Yes. You want to hedge your bets? That's right. It's yeah. It's hedging, yeah. That's the what I was looking for. Pascal's wager. Like I, yeah. I feel like that is the ultimate sort of litmus test for doubt versus belief, which is like how convinced <laughs> are you that you're right? That you live without doubt? Like there is a doubt is a spectrum, and. The level of agency that you have in it, that you take in it, de- defines your your level of sort of, I don't know, authenticity in a belief, in your ideology. Yeah. And the why I wanted to bring up childhood, A, it's one of the first, you know, memories. But as you brought up, year by year, doubt and skepticism, because you just, you know, what are adults originally? Gods that know everything. You can't do anything. Excellent. Everything yeah. they tell you is true. All of that. And then slowly, sometimes by their own fault, doubt and skepticism comes in. I will not name check anything by a proper noun because I'm not exactly sure who's listening to this, but there are the equivalent of superheroes that we involve in our children's lives Yes, that are big harbingers of growing older, of certain days of the year. Mm -hmm. And when you find out maybe some of those have a different Efficacy. <laughs> the other ones, I'm trying to be very careful for any parents We're that are listening. We're talking about Harvey little ones. and the Thursday God and <laughs> Mr. Munchable, <laughs> the who idea only shows of, up afternoon on Sundays. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that we, all your teachers are fake. <laughs> um, you can just walk out of the classroom anytime you want. Um, all candy is free. Anyways, um, the idea of that we sort of force in doubt and skepticism. Yes. Of going along with sort of this big story and then some of it turns out not to be maybe as true right. as we thought it would be. right so that's an interesting sort of sort of situation that we're setting up in and maybe that's an important i mean i think that's an important part of you said becoming more of a real person becoming more deciding what you believe in on your own you do have to a healthy person, I think, has to be able to separate themselves and come up with. It doesn't mean you have to believe only in what you believe in. Then you're like, then you were, we have a cabin in the woods for right. you. <laughs> and uh, you should start learning what manifesto means. But the idea of choosing your group, that's what a lot of college mm-hmm. is for. Traditionally, also that people that college is, I think, very partly about learning smarts, but it's also about socialization and finding the real you because you finally, you're not just obligated to be with these kids because they live in your neighborhood instead yeah. you find your neighborhood within all the kids which is great right and and it does get to i, I think it's interesting that you brought up doubt in this context because i think it gets mm-hmm. to something that i want to talk about in a in a uh, in a minute which is about how that impacts our own view of self right and because who am i like i'm just i live in self doubt and that's that is my cabin in the woods <laughs> and so i think it's important to talk about like the role that these formative experiences have in allowing us to yeah. create uh, a a model for either trust in ourselves or doubt in ourselves and our abilities because most mm. of the time that sucks Right. <laughs> Nobody's good at it. Don't worry. Like, right. They don't, yeah. People don't research this stuff because it's solved. Right. That's uh, right. <laughs> uh, so because sometimes people use doubt as just a wall. Yes. The idea of healthy doubt and healthy skepticism, I would think, and I'm sort of uh, shooting from the hip ATF is like you don't just stop and go, well, I don't know about that and shut everything down. Yeah. It should lead you to investigate more. 
Right. You'll want to find out more, at least to even if there's no real answer, you can figure out what you believe in versus, well, I I don't know. That doesn't seem right. So I'm just going to shut all of that down. And then that's where we do get conspiracy theories, straw man arguments, things like that, that sometimes we are dealing with yeah. a lot. Yeah. And of course, dealt with a lot during the pandemic and the lockdown, the pandemic that's still going on. So um, doubt is... Great. And doubt is the worst. <laughs> doubt is self-defeating. Doubt is self-promoting. All of those Can things. I, it's a really fascinating kind of word. What what did the and feeling? What did the self-doubt say to itself in the mirror? Oh no. What? I'm not sure if I see myself doing this. <laughs> <laughs> you're you're you almost done with your joke book. What do you think? I got I got a couple <laughs> more. Do you want to just roll out one or two more? Here we go. Here you go. Sure. Sure. Uh, let's do did this. you hear about yep. the self-doubting cat? <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> this is part of my type five. It was persistent questioner of its own abilities. That is Come such on. a weird long walk. <laughs> it's just to use the word purr. All right, fine. You could say, well, you know, why was the cat a baker? Because he made a perfect <laughs> cake. That sucks. That has nothing to do with self-doubt. <laughs> Take us home with one last one that's a good You're one. Not gonna, because that I, one I, was I, horse S. <laughs> that second one had nothing to do with self-doubt. <laughs> I don't know. I go down from here. They go down. Yeah, All right. Well, better. give me, give me, give me one more, and this will decide whether we end the episode right now. <laughs> why? Why did the self doubt bring a ladder to the meeting? Why did self doubt bring a ladder to the meeting? Okay. <laughs> Stupid. Self doubt doesn't carry a ladder. It needed a few extra oh. steps to reach a conclusion. <laughs> oh, see, I like that you one. You do? I think that one. I was just angry about the cat a long one. walk because the. No, because at least there, it involves self-doubt. The cat one I can make into nine other jokes that have nothing to do with self-doubt. Why did the cat live in the North Pole? Because it was Santa Claus, right? Claws on a cat? Boo. Yeah. Self-doubt. I don't care for it. Why don't self-doubts make good detectives? Why? Because they always second-guess themselves. <laughs> Cut. <laughs> Doubt requires more courage than conviction does, and more energy, because conviction is a resting place, and doubt is infinite. It is a passionate exercise. You may come out uncertain. You may want to be sure. Look down on that feeling. We've got to learn to live with a full measure of uncertainty. There is no last word. That's the silence under the chatter of our time. John Patrick Shanley. All of us experience doubt in our lives, and doubt can often be a useful tool in deciding how one should proceed in certain circumstances. But sometimes, even a few seconds of doubt can change one's life and legacy forever. Such was the case for the pilot and the commander. After an arduous journey, the two men had finally reached their mysterious destination. They radioed back to HQ that they were ready to disembark and waited for confirmation. The pilot was to leave the vessel first and be the first man to step on this mysterious foreign land outside. A few minutes later, as was protocol, the commander would follow. Finally, word from home crackled over the speaker. It was time to exit the craft. Pilot first came the command. And at that, the pilot hesitated. What really awaited him outside the door? No one had ever stepped outside in this environment. What if something went wrong? What if his training failed him? What if the second command came over the speaker? Commander next. Unlike the pilot, the commander didn't hesitate. Hitching up his large backpack, he opened the hatch and stepped down on the new territory and became the first man to walk on the moon. The commander was Neil Armstrong, and because of pilot Buzz Aldrin's momentary hesitation, he, and not Buzz, was the one to deliver the immortal words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. Aldrin's moment of doubt changed his legacy forever. Or did it? 
As long as we're talking about doubt, let's look a little deeper into the story. Although the above anecdote can be found splashed across numerous motivational internet pages and shared numerous times on such sites as LinkedIn, it's almost certainly not true. Apollo Expeditions to the Moon, the historical account maintained by NASA's history office, agrees that Aldrin was originally supposed to be the first man to step on the moon, but the lunar module posed design challenges that made this very difficult. The hatch opened on the opposite side of where Aldrin was seated, and Aldrin, in his bulky spacesuit and backpack, would have to climb over Armstrong to get out first. When they tried that in training, they damaged the mock-up of the lunar module. Also, it was later revealed that NASA believed Armstrong's calm, steadfast demeanor made him a better candidate for infamy. So, doubt can hold you back, but doubting that doubt can also lead you to the truth. What? While you might not be the next person on the moon, you can be the next person to help keep this podcast in orbit by becoming a feeling friend today. For the astronomically low price of $35, you can get early access to episodes, member-only content with each app, exclusive live streams where you can see when all of these words come out of our dumb faces for the first time, special member-only bonus episodes, stickers, and a what's that smell slash all the feelings bingo card that you can play along with with every episode. And most importantly, you help Commander Pete and I continue to make this show that we love to do it is not free to make so if you'd like what you hear blast off over to allthefeelings.fun and become a feeling friend today it will be one small amount from your pocketbook one giant leap for all of podcasting now back to the show Tom, you might be asking, nay, begging me to tell you about the thing that I made you do in the beginning of the show. Remember just a few minutes ago today? The quiz. It feels like it feels like it was ancient times. But yes, I don't know. I think it was I, ancient I, times. I'm most handsome. Oh, my God, Pete. Am I yes, looking at the wrong results? Most handsome. Wow. 3.25 on a handsome scale. Mom was right. Through five. Weird. <laughs> Weird, right? No, that was the actually the, the general self-efficacy scale. The GSE, developed by Matthias Jerusalem and Rolf Schwarzer. It is a scale composed of only those eight items, ranked from one to five, and the score is just calculated as a raw average. Like, oh. that's where you show up. And it it does an interesting thing when talking about your level of efficacy as relates to uh, your own agency, how effective you are versus how much control you exude in your life. Like you'll notice each of the questions have kind of an interesting twist on how you face challenges, mm -hmm. how you uh, overcome hard things, how you let ego get in, in, involved in your ability to, to handle hard things and accomplish yep. your challenges, right? All of those things I think are really interesting. And you were a 3.25. So skiing on the top of the bell curve. Why is efficacy important? You might be asking. Go ahead. I'll give you time. Yes. Efficacy is important because of this dude, Albert Bandura. Oh, my goodness. Bandura. Oh. Who is this guy? Don't get me started. He was a player in doubt research as a function of self-efficacy because he said how Do we need to well, define efficacy if we're going to continue yeah, to use this? Yeah, I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right oh, now. I'm, like I'm literally so reading I'm so you the definition. <laughs> I'm leaving all this in to show how disrespectful you are of me. <laughs> We're in a real big fight, everybody. <laughs> yeah, we're in a huge fight right now. Yeah. Uh, this is what he said. How well one can execute courses of action required to deal with prospective situations. Right? Got it. That okay. is self-efficacy. People who have a high sense of self-efficacy are likely to view their state of affective arousal mm -hmm. as an energizing factor facilitator of performance, whereas those who are beset by doubt regard their arousal as a debilitator. Think of it. Just just parse that for a second. Man, that was right? rough. That was all the words. It's a lot. Yeah. That was a lot of words in a row <laughs> that can and many words in a row stress us out. So yeah. we've got to slow it down. People who have a high high sense of efficacy are likely to view their state of effective arousal as an energizing factor of performance, whereas those who are beset by doubt regard their arousal as a debilitator. So when we're talking about arousal, we're talking about the stress and anxiety that comes 
in performance, right? Okay. Because when you're about to perform an action, if you're about to get on stage, if you're about to give a presentation at work, if you're about to perform as an athlete on a field, there is a sweet spot where getting excited about the thing that's about to come can help you and getting too excited right shuts you down yes that's okay. anxiety so and fear got it there is a sweet spot and having the right amount of efficacy feeling that internal feeling that you can accomplish the thing that you are about to set out to do is the is the thing you're trying to achieve right that's right. what we're all trying to achieve so the arousal can make you sharp or the arousal can become like a blanket over you, like if right. you just can't do it. Okay, got it. Exactly. And Bandura, uh, Pop Pop, we call him Pop Pop Bandura, the, <laughs> the granddad of self-efficacy. Mm -hmm. He had he had four uh, major components of what determines self-efficacy. You know, judgments he called them determining efficacy judgments. Okay. If you have these four components to a, a high proper degree, you reach self-efficacy, right? You have the right amount. And one was performance outcomes. Positive and negative experiences influence the ability of an individual to perform given task. If one has done well at this thing in the past, one is likely to feel strong about the chances of them doing well at, at this thing in the future, right? Mm -hmm. It's pretty easy. It's practice. That's what we're right. talking about there. Uh, verbal persuasion. Verbal persuasion, uh, self-efficacy is influenced by encouragement and discouragement pertaining to an individual's performance or ability to perform. This makes me think about our pride conversation, pride. Yeah. which was all about like giving the right feedback and receiving uh -huh. the right feedback. Makes all the that, difference. That makes all the difference, right? Vicarious experiences. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, vicarious experiences. People can develop higher or low self-efficacy vicariously through other people's performances. When you watch someone do a thing well, you mm. can, to some extent, internalize that thing. You can watch someone else and compare their competence with your competence, and that can help influence your, uh, your own self-efficacy, right? Would that be like I want the success that that person had, or I can do that. And so you yes. get anything you can do, More I can do better. More the latter. Got it. More okay. the latter. Because what happens when you're saying, I I want the success that someone is, is doing, that's imposter syndrome, right? <sighs> like, yep. I might not have the skill to do it, but I should be on that stage. Got it. Right? I want the, the success of Max <sighs> right. Verstappen. That's Team Red Bull. That's the heuristic of I can do this one thing, <laughs> yes. so I should be able to do everything. Or I can see that yes. that's valuable, so now I'm that. No. So now I'm that. Yeah. Me. I'm the one. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So uh, what we're really talking about is, is, a, is and specifically the word that, that Bandura uses is competence. You are evaluating mm -hmm. competence and comparing it to your competence, right? Mm -hmm. I might want the success of Max Verstappen and Formula One uh, Team Red Bull, but Got I it. know I don't have the competence to achieve it. Sure. Right. And the, his fourth, Bandura's fourth, was physiological feedback. People experience sensation from their body and how they perceive this emotional arousal influences their beliefs of efficacy. Right. You have, I think, gymnasts call this spatial awareness. Right. You know, when they're right. flying through the air, their body understands what it feels like to achieve the goal, which is to land on feet and arms in air and all of that. <laughs> uh, and so they are able to internalize that. So performance yep. outcomes, vicarious experiences, verbal persuasion and psych physiological feedback leads to improving your self-efficacy. And I say it again, it all sounds a lot like practice. Yeah, <laughs> Just right. Rehearsal. Do a thing, have yep. a good coach to tell you that it's good and study other people who do it right. and you will get better at it yourself. Uh, Jim's, uh, James Maddox adds a, a fifth layer to this, a fifth component to Bandura's. He says, imaginal experiences or visualization. Yes. You've got to go through creative visualization to get that it That was the first thing that I what was taught think? when I was really nervous about stuff is visualize yourself doing well and keep yes. doing it. Make that because I always because might as well, if you're just going to make something up, this is something that I've been yeah. learning. If you're going to make something up. Why not have it be positive? Like I like to <laughs> yes, I like to create sure. like daymares or very negative ideations of this is what it's going to look like when it goes wrong. Well, what? 
and yeah. everybody buys goes like leaves the show and buys the flowers to send to you. Like why why yeah. not just make something up? Yeah. Yeah. And make it sure. be positive. Yeah. For sure. So let's uh, talk more about that. Like your experience of of do you remember uh, uh, like a key experience of, say, stage fright, like uh-huh. uh, of performance anxiety that that when doubt sort of got the better of you, it seems like you've been on top of that your whole life. Well, the anticipatory anxiety is the is the hard part. Once I'm out mm-hmm. there, it's usually better. Uh, once I'm actually doing something or in front of the group, it's leading up to it that I come up with all again my phrase of daymare um, of just wide open and I'm having a, a terrible feelings of what it's going to happen. That has not gotten better. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. there's still a disconnect between past success and future confidence that I struggle with all the time. Yes. There have been some performances where I have the anticipatory anxiety has gotten so bad that, and I actually have video of some of them of going out, <laughs> starting the song and realizing, Oh, all the lyrics are gone. All of them. Mm-hmm. That's when I went way to like a chemical response to doubt and fear and suspicion of my own abilities, where my brain was just like, for some reason, it thought it was in triage. And it was like, well, to keep breathing, <laughs> we have to get rid of the song, you know, like all the lyrics to the trolley song, which I talked about before when I flamed out on yeah. the <laughs> dumb clang, clang, clang goes the hey now. Um, that's an example that's of the, some. Yeah, that's like the enterprise all power to shields, right? Like, yeah. All, and it's like, like remove power from life support, all power to shields. <laughs> yes. and, and it's just yeah. not appropriate. It's it's right. reacting to something where I've let myself. I That's when I don't spend enough time you know, breathing, remembering things, mm-hmm. doing, saying lyrics backwards, not whole lyrics backwards. That's something that Victor would do. But the idea of like, <laughs> let's do the third verse first. Now let's do the second to really try to stretch my mind and keep it very active. I learned a lot more from that, but yeah, that's when, when I feel like I'm not in control, when I started, Oh, one performance, I did the cup song from pitch perfect. This was at Miscast, yeah. friend of the, the sure. uh, got my ticket for a long way around. Yeah. And the whole trick of that is you're doing all these flips with this cup and you can see it on the video. <laughs> maybe, maybe somehow <laughs> we'll connect it. Uh, but you can see me start it. And the big thing is I didn't have the cup backstage to practice with. We left it out on stage. You and you're not allowed to go out. It miming. I was sort of miming, but not, not really. Mime the cup song. And I was. <laughs> <laughs> got my ticket ticket cup song now yeah it was really rough <laughs> but i went out and you can see me my hands are shaking i'm so nervous and i start doing it and instead i like start i hit the cup twice and then i take the cup in my hand and i just slam it like a cave person into the table <laughs> bump 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 and then i stop <laughs> And I look at the audience and I'm like, oh boy. And I shake out my hands and I do like the whole like shake out your neck thing because my body in its nervous state had taken over. And I was like clumsily, yes. like I was about to Frankenstein fire bad into the audience. Yeah. You got but I was amygdala to, hijacked. Yes, but I stopped yeah. and I shook it out and then I ended up doing it fine. And there was still mess yeah. ups, but I was very fun. And so, yeah, that's an example of the doubt, the, all the worry that I've been having backstage and not being able to practice. The that's what I'm worried about is losing control of my body when my body is in such a state of to use your word or what's his name's word arousal that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that it just I don't have control. And that happened for a second. And I'm kind of actually glad that it happened because it made the rest of it so much easier. Yeah, it's so crazy. Like you I feel like you and I right now are on a continuum because you, I think, have those struggles with lyrics, but you practice and you do it and you you perform and you have the tools to do it. And I used to, I feel like, have that. And then I I had such a struggle uh, with lyrics at one point that that has now become a part of my identity, that I mm. can't remember lyrics to new songs. Right. Yeah, right? I do that and too. And so I That's don't funny. even try. I don't even try anymore because I'll never learn, so I don't even try to memorize songs. That, that is... <laughs> <laughs> that feels like a ridiculously sad thing to say, but but it's funny to me when I look at all of this stuff that's written about doubt and I think, oh, that's the instruction manual to avoid what I've become. 
Oh, I which see. is a monster of Frankenstein self-doubt, right? Right. Yeah. It. I'm talking more about this. I'm more and more digging my 3.5 average. You're feeling pretty good. Well, because it does seem like maybe it is a sweet spot, at least for me. If I was mm -hmm. over, if I was under, if I was more doubtful, I'd be in trouble and it would keep me from maybe wanting to do these things. If I was less doubtful, I worry that I wouldn't be as sharp or work as hard. I also know some performers that are overconfident and go into it being yes. like, nope, I got this and it's fine. I don't need to rehearse. And then they've gone out and had trouble on stage. Yeah. And I try not to let myself do that either because I give myself doubt and vulnerability you know, second place tries harder. <laughs> I'm yeah. the Pepsi to the Coke world. And so well, I wanna... <laughs> you know, those people, they broke the law. Would you like to know what law? Yeah. The Yerkes Dodson law. That's oh! right. Yerkes Dodson yep. law from, just go ahead and guess the year. Yerkes Dodson would have done some research in psychology, defining exactly what you're talking about. Sounds like a real Two 20, researchers. 2010 law. Oh, right. Or 1908. <laughs> what did I say? Was I close? 102 years earlier, Yerkes and Dodson uh, came up with their finding. This They have this law that suggests performance increases with mental arousal, quote, stress, but only up to a point when an individual's level of stress is too high or too low, their performance deteriorates. That's the sweet spot we were talking about right. earlier. Yep. And and in 2014, uh, a, a, another group of, of psychologists came out and did and wrote up Egan and colleagues. I'll just say it, Egan and colleagues, mm -hmm. and said, you know what? The Yerkes-Dodson law needs to be repurposed for perfectionistic individuals because people who are oh. overconfident or are striving for perfection in spite of <laughs> rational need to do so uh, need to be need this reinforced that there's a sweet spot. You can over prepare huh? and yep. actually deter your performance deteriorates. And th on either side of that sweet spot lies doubt. Right. Either you're not preparing enough so you doubt your own performance uh -huh. or you fail because you overprepared and thus doubt your ability to perform in the future. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're screwed on both ends. Right. Yeah. You got to go skiing with me, baby. Right you on the top. You got to go skiing on the yeah. bell curve. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Woo. Powder. <laughs> I just have I I want to wrap it up because I've been meandering too long on this, but I just I just want to say there are uh, th there has been a lot of research on this, and they say fall into the four factors, right? Encourage emphasize peer modeling, right? So mm -hmm. uh, learn from examples set by those around you, um, and think of it as a student teacher mentor mentee relationship. Constantly be looking and evaluating others that you respect, and mm. internalizing the lessons from them. Yep. Seek feedback. Oh, yeah. The problem with understanding feedback is that some people tend to believe that getting no feedback is the same as being told that one is doing their job well. <laughs> that is not true. Your you brain doesn't see in. it that way. You got to check in. No news is, in fact, bad news. Okay. Uh, if you are looking at, at performance improvement. Uh, and so encourage participation. You got to get on the field and play. Whatever it is you're trying to, to build your confidence and remove doubt, you have to get out there and do the work. Uh, and encourage agency. Whether the outcome is positive or negative, making one's own decisions allows for one to feel responsible due to your cunning or your negligence, says Ugh. Venturas. That's Ooh. amazing. Uh, <laughs> the person themselves is held accountable for if the outcome turned out in your favor or against you. You have to own the performance completely. Mm. You choose right. to perform, you own the results. And that is agency. Um, there are ties in the research, ties to people with low agency. They have very poor health habits, right? Oh, they don't eat yeah. well. They don't brush their teeth. They don't do. There are lots of behaviors that suffer on the spectrum of human behavior uh, around health and fitness. Um, they have poor academic success, right? They, they just don't succeed as well in school because they stop trying at some point. Right. And doubt uh, gets doubt. And yeah. And heading back to our old friend, doubt 
coming up with a tool to address doubt in the form of self-efficacy helps you address your fears and phobias. Oh. It leads you to breaking through the walls by exposure therapy right. and by visualizing success in getting over the things that make you afraid. What do you think mm. about that? That's not bad. I love all of that. Okay. That's very helpful. This is good. I was yeah. doubting our ability to do this. <laughs> but then we had but self-advocacy to do a podcast, <laughs> which is the dumbest sort of self-advocacy. Because anybody could podcast. <laughs> I think we solved doubt. We did it, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Whew. I've often, it's funny that you bring all that up because I spend most of my time on stage trying to hide my arousal state. Because <laughs> I'm knocking over mic stands, <laughs> bottles of water all over the stairs because I am turned oh God. on. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I've got a, I've got a, I've got a real uh, stage light kink going on. <laughs> Anything. Any spotlights, any floodlights. Yeah. Gets me going. No shame. No, no, no kink That's shame. why I am no single. Oh, baby. <laughs> That's it. That's the button right there. You bring up being light horny and we're done. <laughs> Thank you all so much for joining us for this episode. This week's tune for you doubters is Be Bold, Be Brave by To The Valley. And Pete, what are we talking about next week? It's a happy one. Oh my goodness, Tom, this is another this is another doozy, especially coming off of doubt. We're going to talk about belonging. Belonging. Belonging together, <laughs> belonging to a group. What are the good parts? What are the bad parts? Why is it so important to all of us? And other things that we have not spent one minute on yet trying to research I hear, or think about. Yeah, I think so it'll scared. involve finger knitting. <laughs> I think there will be some finger knitting involved. You think finger That's knitting That's all I know one? about it so far, so it's going to be great. Great. All right. Well, then, until then, who are you? I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Tommy Mitz III. Who are you? Thank you all so much for downloading. We will be back next week with all the feelings. Oh.